This is Edge Cases, a podcast about the grumpier side of software development, mostly, but not always, after you edit, featuring myself and my co-host, the Lewis and Clark of Objective-C, I'm Andrew Pontius. And I'm all French. This is episode 56. It's Saturday, July 13th, the dreaded Saturday the 13th, 2013, and our topic this week is test flight and iOS provisioning. Oh, good. That uh, sounds like a really nice topic. Yeah, so we'll see if... We'll see if I get this in, in anywhere near, you know, the, the 35 or so minutes that we usually want to, that, that our ideal uh, uh, show length is, which I am now prolonging just by talking here. So, okay. We definitely um, should not spend a lot of time talking about how we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably shouldn't do that. No, no let me reiterate, re- re- reiterate this. <laughs> I, re- I, re- don't, yeah. I don't think right, we stop. should. Uh, okay. Nope, done. Good. Major joke. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, so, let's see. I've used TestFlight on two projects so far. I have used it on one small, uh, sort of a simple little app for my family um, as a way to get that distributed to them, and also for, for one work project. And so there were interesting things about, about both of those, I guess. Um to give a little bit of a history, uh, so so for those, well, I guess you know what TestFlight is, right? How would I you do. describe TestFlight? Uh, I guess I would call it a kind of a, a beta software distribution mechanism, right? For and, uh, I guess mm-hmm. uh, for iOS. What's well, for iOS? It's also for Android. They do have an Android support now. I know. Um, I, I, I guess I guess our main competitor is Hockey. I know Hockey has a Mac support nowadays. Um, yes, and uh, I did see. Uh, uh, jumping ahead here. Um, there's some, I'm going to talk about hockey app as well, if we have time and they do have a little, uh, uh, support, uh, uh, little support page on the hockey app website, which talks about why you should use hockey app instead of test flight. And okay. they did mention, um, both the Android and Mac support. And this was like two years ago. So mm-hmm. they've had it for a while. Whereas I think for uh, test flight, Android is, is more recent. Okay. But they do have Android now. Um, they don't have Mac support. Um, I, I suspect that that's just not a big deal for most people. That you know, the vast majority of companies will be primarily iOS iOS based, and that will be fine for them. Mm-hmm. But yes, it's for um, making it easier to uh, to uh, distribute your beta software to your beta testers, and easier for them to provide feedback to you. Um, is I think the two things. So let's see. So TestFlight, um, I looked into it. They apparently went into widespread release in uh, January of 2011 uh, during the iOS 4 days, um, which is important uh, because of some of the technology they use for that. And and so they've been around a while. What is that? Two years now? Over two and a half years? And my high-level summary for that is that uh, I, think, I think they're good. I think they're pretty good for use, but I also think they're, they're limited by Apple's infrastructure quite a bit. So let's go over some of that infrastructure. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but um, because it does depend on on the way you sign apps for iOS and distribute them, um, that um, how TestFlight works. And so there's your um, signing identity. So you start the very simple starting identity with your public and private keys, right? Which Apple prompts you to make when you first set all this stuff up. Okay, so those are, those are the things that ends up in your keychain when, and the thing that gets that code sign or co-design ends up uh, using? Co-design, co- co- right. Um, <laughs> uh, 
uh, well, the, the private key ends up in your keychain. Right. The public key does not is something that you you're going okay. to be distributing. So and now it also ends up in your keychain because it ends up in your what Apple calls the signing certificate. I think most people just call them certificates, mm-hmm. uh, but in their documentation they call them signing certificates, and I think that's a good idea because yeah, I probably. always kind of forget exactly what the heck they do. And apparently, what they do is all they really do is associate your public key with your private key. That's okay. that's kind of it. Like, but they do it in in, a, in an identifiable unit that you can then mm-hmm. embed in other things. And the signing certificate also lives in your keychain. So in, in a certain sense, yes, your public key also lives in your keychain, but it lives in there in, inside the certificate. And it can either be for development or for distribution. And I'm not quite sure why they do that, but we'll just keep moving on. But that's then associated with the provisioning profile. And the provisioning profile um, includes an app ID. That's kind of what it its function is to include that app ID. And that app ID can be a wildcard to match more than one app, but you still only get one. So in my mind, sort of everything that you can do by making it a profile for more than one app is kind of a, a hack, right? Because it's still just one ID, but you know, whatever works for you. So you could, in theory, have a one provisioning profile for several apps. I don't think that works once you use Apple's uh, uh, app services, things like uh, in-app purchase and that sort of thing. But I'm not positive because I haven't I haven't used those myself. Um, but in any case, that's that's where that goes. Now, what you get on top of different kinds of provisioning profiles can do things in different ways. So there's a development provisioning profile, and that does specify uh, device IDs uh, along with the app ID. So you can only install a development, or you can only use a development provisioning profile for particular devices. Uh, and I'm not sure we're going to get into that more. Uh, but in any case, that's that's one of the key parts of that, and it has special properties for development. Uh, you can use it with the Xcode debugger. I'm not sure, again, how exactly how that works, but I know it does work. Um, and you can use the provisioning profile that Xcode uh, auto-maintains for you. Have you used that, Wolf? Yeah, yeah. I, I had to do th- this stuff in the bad old days where you had to do everything manually, and right. every step of it seemed broken in a, in a unique way. And <laughs> yes. and now, uh, it's, it's so much better nowadays, basically because I was so angry at Apple because they you know they own the entire stack on both sides, both on the, the developer side and, and the freaking operating yeah. system. They owned the developer tools, they owned everything, and yet it was so jury rigged together, and it didn't hang together very well at all. And finally, it's getting to the point where uh, you know, you just fire up Xcode, you enter your, your Apple ID, and things work like they should have all along. So yeah, I'm. Yeah. Uh, well, the problem is, is some things end up do going wrong, and then you have no clue what to, what to do. But right, but your anyway. your, uh, your remedies. Uh, for for things going wrong often tend to be bad. So this is where I'll kind of uh, bitch about that for a little bit. Um, Xcode is supposed to handle all that stuff for you for the, uh, the uh, what is it, the team, something, something, team provisioning profile. I have it mm-hmm. somewhere. The iOS team provisioning profile for iOS. And, and currently it says wildcard app ID. Uh, it used to say after that just an asterisk. I'm not quite sure why they changed that. But the trouble with that is, so again, what it's supposed to happen is you say when you, when you plug in the device and you see it in the organizer, you say use for development. And then that is supposed to say, okay, uh, add that device ID to your list of device IDs for your account, which is the maximum of a hundred and variety of other considerations there. And then it's added. And then it is, there's something added to the device for development. I have it on Twitter. Uh, Let's see. No, I'm not gonna. All right, I'm not gonna worry about that right now. 
but there's something something that it does to the device, and then um, then you're all set. Then from then on, Xcode will will handle all of that. Well, there's a couple ways that that can go wrong. One, if the device has already been, uh, uh, you know, somebody's already clicked that button for that device on another Mac for another developer account, mm-hmm. then that button won't show up on your developer account. So you can't use the same device for two different developer accounts. And that, you know, that's a real world case. If you have someone who's a uh, who's a contractor who's working for your company, well, they've already started to use that device for their own work, you know, in other places. They want to use it with you as well, and they can't. They can't use that team provisioning profile there. And even if they haven't done that, if you've already added the device to the list, like if you wanted to be helpful, you wanted to go ahead and add it to your device list in the, the developer portal, you know, and then set it up for, for the team provisioning profile. Well, you can't because what Xcode does is it says, well, this device is already there, and then it just stops. It won't let you continue and add it to the team provisioning profile. So there's a bunch of things that, that don't work very well with that. Um, and I may even, this may even be such a point that I'll file bugs on that. Um, um, you know, so you see how, how dire things have gotten when I've decided to do that. <laughs> um, but in any case, that you know, development, there's development, certificate the development profile. They're supposed to work together and work in Xcode. Uh, but we're not going to be talking about that any more than that today. There's the App Store provisioning profile which is only used to submit to the App Store. And there, Apple handles what devices it's, it's going to be used for. And I think for meeting the documentation, they say, well, then Apple re-signs it for the App Store themselves in some way that, that somehow works. So in any case, you don't, need to, you don't need to specify specific devices for that. Um, and then the other one you also don't need to specify specific devices for is the in-house provisioning profile. And that's there for uh, large enterprises basically, because they want to have internal apps which they can use on thousands of devices, but they don't want to put it on the App Store. So here you say, well, you know, here's our, our in-house provisioning profile, and just make sure you install that, and then everybody can use that app even without us having to specify it, which can be very useful. Um, I've also seen people use that for internal beta testing as opposed to external beta testing. Because then in internal, again, all you do is tell everybody to put the, the profile on your machines. And that way you're not using up any more slots for that. Then the last one, the one we're going to be uh, discussing for the rest of this, is the ad hoc provisioning profile. And that was specifically added, as far as I understand it, for the sake of external beta testing. So that, like the development profile, you have to specify specific device IDs for it. And and that way then you can get your device IDs from all of your, your beta testers and add them to this provisioning profile. And then your beta testing app can be sent out into the wild, and it will still only be usable by those particular people, not by anybody else. So um, let, me go, let me go on quickly to uh, some test flight features. Um, I mean, there's two, there's two big pieces to it. One is sort of administrator piece, where you're the person setting up the, the, the beta test. And then there's what the, what the beta testers can do, what the users can do with it. And what's one thing that's interesting, well, I'm going to go with the users first. So they have to sign up with the service and, you know, give like a, a, a email address, I think, and password and set that up. But then from there on, as long as they sign in, and I believe you might have to do it in Safari, you do it, you have to do some other things in Safari. But as long as you do it in, in Safari, you can then, uh, TestFlight will, will know that you're running the web page on a device and they will give you like a link for you to say, well, register this device with test flight. And so that's easy. That's much easier than asking a beta tester to say, okay, dig out the device ID, mm-hmm. copy it and send it to me. Right. So, so 
right off the bat, Test Suite makes that easier. So that's great. And then, so that device ID is associated with that user in Test Suite. And then you as an administrator, and you can, you can set up like a little section for your app. You can upload versions of the app to Test Suite. Uh, do all sort of the, the administrative things. I'm sure I'm going to forgetting a couple that are that are interesting. You should t- check it out yourself if you're if you're interested. But then you have these users, and you can say, well, yeah. So this user should be associated with this app, and that way, then you can uh, you can send out emails when there's a new version, for example. All very useful. But the trouble is, this runs into the limitations that Apple has because TestFlight cannot automatically, therefore set up your build environment for you or set up things on the developer portal for you. There's still a couple of steps you will need to do uh, outside of that, even once you've done everything in TestFlight. Because while TestFlight can get that UDID from the user for you, you have to take that UDID and put it into the developer portal. Um, and so you, you would log into the website, you know, paste the damn thing in there, you know, go to the right page, right? Paste the right thing in there, you know, click, uh, click, update and, and are you sure and all this other stuff. And that's really kind of a, a pain because what I needed to do, so when I was doing this for my home trial, I don't, you know, my family is not that large. And so there weren't that many people to add, but for, um, for work, the pattern that we got into was there were a couple of users at a time. And so I had to, you know, day after day or week after week, I had to add a couple more and then a couple more and then a couple more. And so you have to regenerate your your ad hoc provisioning profile each time because the ad hoc provisioning profile contains that entire list. And if an app isn't in the list, you know it's like a uh, what would you do like a like a list at a, at a nightclub, right? Something you know you're not on the list, you don't get in. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we both know that all too well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I don't ever come back to that right now. I'll come up with one later though. And then what was I saying? So. So you need to regenerate it each time. And one thing that, that I'm also going to complain about here is that if you then want to rebuild the application with that provisioning profile, because you have provisioning profiles embedded in the application, while you have regenerated it and while you have a new file that's named the same thing as the old file, as far as Xcode's concerned, they're two entirely different provisioning profiles. They've got a different ID, and I don't I don't know exactly whether it's called an ID, what, it, what exactly it's called, but if you... You, know, you take that file with that name and you look in your provisioning profiles, right? And you control click on one and say reveal profile in Finder. What you actually see then under like uh, library, oh, where is it? Library mobile device provisioning profiles, huh? Is, is a dot mobile provision there. But instead of having the name that it originally had when you, when you imported it, it's got this long string of letters and numbers and dashes in there. And that's it somehow it's ID. And that ID is different for, for newly generated provisioning profiles over the old ones. So as far as Xcode is concerned, they're com- two completely different profiles. And you need to change your Xcode project to refer to the new one because it's a new ID number to refer to at bottom. Which means every time you, you update that list, you have to go to the site, you have to make those changes, you have to download it, and you have to you know, commit another change to Xcode if you want to make that provisioning profile be inside the application. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have to build and all that stuff. And so that's really, I found that to be a great big pain in the butt. 
But that's not something that, of course, TestFlight can do anything about. Any service that you use would have to deal with this. And so you do. Anybody, you, know, you deal with it uh, your own way. But another thing that TestFlight does, <clears throat> does make easier for you is they make it easier to install the app. Because if you didn't have that, what you would need to do is have the user you know, download uh, the, the .ipa file from somewhere on your website and drag it into, or double, I guess you could double-click it, and that'll open it in iTunes. Mm-hmm. So you have to sync your device with iTunes, and then it will install it, install the new version each time. Now, that doesn't sound that hard for us, but there are a whole bunch of users out there who just don't sync with right. iTunes, who've never opened iTunes. And so for them, trying to explain to them, well, here are all the steps you need to do in order to do this, this beta test is not great. And so TestFlight fixes that by allowing you to click a link on their website and install the app. Now, what's interesting here is that this is not something that TestFlight said, ooh, you know, iOS needs this feature, therefore we'll invent it even though Apple doesn't support it. No, because anything on the device, you, you can't do things like this on the device unless Apple supports it. It's so locked down. So you can only do the things that Apple lets you do. So it turns out that in iOS 4, so when I talked about um, uh, TestFlight being introduced in, in uh, 2011, they had to wait that long. Well, they didn't have to wait quite that long because only in iOS 4 was this idea of an over-the-air installation uh, included in the operating system. And have you heard of, you've, presumably you've heard of this, this functionality, this, this iOS feature? Right, yeah. Yeah. What's really interesting, because when I started trying to look, looking for documentation on it, it's really interesting because Apple's documentation is, is well, it's really bad, for one, um, if you want to use this for ad hoc distribution, because Apple didn't introduce it for ad hoc distribution. They introduced it for enterprise distribution. And that's how all of their documentation talks about it. It's all part of their documentation, and they actually also have a, uh, let's see, a WWDC session from 2010, session 108, Managing Mobile Devices. There's also a, Apple, uh, excuse me, a document called Distributing Enterprise Apps for iOS Devices. And both of these are primarily interested in telling administrators how to set up their websites so that they can uh, uh, install apps, they can manage apps for a, for a big company that has internal apps that they want to use. Mm-hmm. But buried in that, buried in those much larger documents, much larger uh, WWDC session, is little tidbits of information about how to actually do it. And it's interesting. Did you know, have you, have you actually set up something like this, Wolf? Oh, I've only been a client of TestFlight, and so how I it's pretty much a big black box to me, and so this is very interesting. So it turns out that there that what you do when you want to install something through a link is the link is where did I put that that um, link here? It is actually an ITMS, yeah. So the link, so a, a sample link is you know, the href. Uh, ITMS-services colon slash slash uh, question mark action equals download dash manifest and, you know, with an ampersand URL equals and then the URL that you want. And that URL is not a direct connection to your application. Mm -hmm. Instead, it is a link to what's called a manifest file. 
which mm. is an XML file, XML format file, which is actually a plist. It's a .plist file, which includes uh, a bunch of information about the application, but not that much information. Um, it was really interesting. So I'm going to conclude a link to a section of Apple's documentation, which is distributing enterprise apps for iOS devices, uh, colon, installing apps wirelessly. And unfortunately, I can't help you because it is, it, oh, it's a, it's a link into help.apple.com instead of developer.apple.com. So I guess mm-hmm. there's a chance that that will survive um, um, more than one month or so. <laughs> so let's hope because there are some details in there which I don't want to try to go into myself. You'll need to find it yourself again, obviously, if, if the link does go bad. But um, the, the most important thing in that link is a URL to the IPA file. So I'm assuming what happens here is uh, this link is, you know, it's taken over by the OS from Safari. Mm-hmm. And that OS says, all right, I'm going to look at this manifest file. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to examine it and do whatever I want with it. And, and I'm, then I'm going to go, if I decide it's okay, and I'm not sure what, what validation it actually can do, because there isn't that much to do there. I'm going to go out and get this, this, uh, this IPA file. And what it does is, and if, you, if you, you've seen it in an operation, it kind of says, well, you know, such and such and such and such being the website would like to install such and such where, where it's the application name. Mm-hmm. This is a little uh, alert, even though Apple says don't use alerts for this sort of <laughs> thing. They, they use them all over the place themselves, not bitter or anything. And, and you know, when you click OK, then it goes and um, uh, maybe a little better. Um, and, you know, and it starts installing. It starts downloading the app and showing you a little progress with that app right there. So that, I mean, that appears to be all you need to do. Um, in Apple's description, I think possibly in the, the session, they say that you need four things. You need the IPA, you need the manifest, you need a web server where you can put all this stuff, and you need the provisioning profile. But it seems to me that if you're doing this with a, a, an embedded provisioning profile in the app that is up to date, that has everything you need. You don't actually need a provisioning profile. That's the fourth thing. Mm-hmm. So, so that seems to be the way it, way it goes. Um, and there are a number of other uh, web pages that, that talk about this in more detail. That that say you know that put the pieces together. Okay, yes, this is an enterprise thing, but you can also use it for ad hoc. There's one which is uh, how does TestFlight do it, which is a Stack Overflow web page, and I'll put a link to it in that. And then there's another one by Jeffrey Sambels. Sambels. Uh, iOS wireless app distribution um, that I'll also put a link to, and so you know people have this is a this is a pretty much a solved problem. People know how to set all this up, um, but that's you know that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Now you can, if you are just adding users, you can in theory skip the step of rebuilding your application with the new provisioning profile. So you just re you just create the new. Uh, in the uh, provisioning profile with the new uh, ID and then just re-embed it? No. Okay. You do regenerate the profile with okay. the additional IDs. And for example, with TestFlight, what they do is, it the, the link is a little buried. I think it's per release. You can say for that release, instead of using the one that it was embedded with, here's another one. And you upload it to TestFlight. And so, so far, so good. And then when the user goes to that link for that app, the web page, instead of just saying install app with a big green button, is an even bigger button, actually a giganto huge button. It says install provisioning profile. Mm. And so, because that's because what happens with the app, as far as I understand it is, you install the app, it takes that provisioning profile for that app, especially if it's an ad hoc one. And I think it, 
it copies it over. Like so, it's it's a general purpose provisioning profile. Once it's been copied into your provisioning profile section mm-hmm. for for your device, uh, which actually causes problems because then I think you're you are uh, prompted that it's expiring right. later, which is you know uh, annoying. Um, cause we have had, we have had reports of users saying, Hey, this thing's expiring and it has your name in it. What's going on? Um, actually, I'm not sure it has a name in it, but anyway, uh, so that's annoying, but, but because they're, they're sort of differentiated like that, it does mean that you can install a new provisioning profile and then install the app. And I think you can do it in that order. I don't think you need to do it in the other order. Um, and, and, and the device will know that they're connected. Although it's a little weird, right? Because as far mm-hmm. as Xcode is concerned, they're two entirely different provisioning profiles. But as far as the device is concerned, as far as the OS is concerned, somehow they're, it's still the same provisioning profile and it's still associated with your app. I guess maybe just because it has the app ID. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. Um, but the trouble is that if you, know, you click the big button, and it even says so underneath it, it says, hey, you're going to be taken to a place where you can't get back to here directly. <laughs> So please come back to here. <laughs> and yet, you know, it doesn't say, you know, it says it a little more professionally than that. But it's basically that, you know, please come back. And and yet, you know, a user who it was not uh, savvy enough with computers to have done the whole thing in iTunes in the first place, maybe you can't rely on that user to do that either. And what happens, and I actually just did this. Let's see if I can bring it up. Yes. If you install the app without installing the profile, it says... Uh, it gives you another little alert, like, you know, again, those alerts you're not supposed to use, saying, unable to download application, such and such could not be installed at this time. And there's mm-hmm. a done button and a retry button, which is, you know, for someone yeah. who doesn't know what's going on, is totally useless to the user. So it really is unfortunate that that's where you're at. Like, I would, with the with the, the, the version that I did at work and with the stuff I did at home, I never risked that. I would always recreate the app even mm-hmm. if it was just to add people, because, you know, it's just too much, you know, and you can say, oh, you know, are people so stupid? They can't even figure this out. Well, you know, they just might not be computer savvy. And that doesn't mean they're stupid. That just means they're not computer savvy. And, and you know, your choices are either deal with that, um, you know, deal with the support call when you get that, you know, when people call about, you know, unable to download application or do the extra work to do it yourself. And again, this is not something the test flight can, can do anything about. They have no control over this whatsoever. They can make it. Now, they already did. They made it as easy as it possibly could for me to upload a new provisioning profile. And they put the big red, the big green button with the text, which, mm-hmm. you know, told you everything you could possibly want to know about this. And yet, you know, that's the most they can do. And they can't do any more than that. Mm-hmm. So that's been, been my experience with, with test flight, that it's pretty good. Um, but it's, you know, it's still, it's still a pain to do this kind of stuff. Um, but it is, but it is doable. And you know, again, the two things that they do for you that you that you didn't do otherwise is that the the user uh, registers the device themselves once they're on the web page, and so they don't need to copy a, a UDID, mm-hmm. and also that they can they can click a link to install mm-hmm. the app, and that's and that's golden. That's just wonderful, because um, yeah, the the same users who you wouldn't expect to be able to find their way back from a provisioning profile settings page, um, also you know probably can't be. Can't be arsed to use to use iTunes the way you want them to, um, and so yeah. mm-hmm. so that's that's and and I'm going to go all right. So I'm going to go a little bit about Hockey App now as well because it looks like we have time, mm-hmm. um, unless you have like 30 minutes of feedback, no. which I hope you want. Um, okay, so Hockey App was launched in May of the same year that that TestFlight was was launched. 
Um, so uh, Test Flight was January. Hockey Up was May of 2011. And Hockey, uh, they have a little page where they talk about, you know, why do you want to use us instead of them? And so Test Flight is free. And if you look at the Test Flight webpage, it says, uh, it says yes, it's really free. Uh, the current features in SDK are part of the core functionality and will remain free to use. Our plan is to introduce paid features in the future that will be currently labeled as such. However, in March of, of this year, TestFlight was acquired by Burstly. And in the webpage that I looked at on uh, MacStories.net, they, they described Burstly as app monetization service. Hmm. And I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> Anything um, with the word monetization in it is usually <laughs> not good. Well, if you look at Burstly's website, when they say what they are, they say they're helping developers reach the highest levels of user engagement. Well, that's good. And monetization. Hmm. Those aren't the same thing. <laughs> so I don't know. So, um, uh, what did they say? So uh, the, the hockey page, they talk about how they're a, they're a small company with no VC funding or anything like that. And, uh, and so I guess, I guess they're implying, I guess they're saying that, you know, test flight uh, survives by, by VC money. Um, and, and, you know, therefore, you know, what's going to happen later with that. And that's true. What's going to happen there. On the other hand, I hope that hockey apps, uh, or just hockey's, uh, business plan doesn't require them to convince a lot of people of that because that generally doesn't seem to work. Right. Like, Oh, you know, Hey, you could go with free or you could go with a paid service where you know that you're getting what you pay for. Most people will still go with free. Right. And it's funny because it's not like they came first and got undercut by somebody later. No, they came out once we already knew that Test Flight was going to be out there and Test Flight was going to be free. So I do wonder what their business plan is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that there are a bunch of people, and I looked at, at blog posts uh, about people switching to hockey from, from Test Flight. There were definitely a bunch of bloggers who said, yeah, yeah, definitely we've switched. And let's see, why did people do that? They mentioned that Hockey App gets, uh, will they handle crash reporting well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't th- uh, I think it's they who integrate with PL Crash Reporter? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and and since I didn't know what that meant, I didn't mention that. What what is that? Do you know why that's important? Yeah, that's from our good friends at Possible Labs, and um, it's it, it's basically the current state of the art in terms of uh, crash reporting. Well, maybe I, I think well, Crash Analytics has I think their own Crash Reporter, and I don't know how their features exactly compare, but those seem to be the the two front runners at least. And uh, at least uh, PL Crash Reporter is open source. I believe Crash Analytics is proprietary. And uh, yeah, it's just a, it's it's um it's a, a, a way to figure out uh, what exactly crashed when your app goes down, so you can ship it off. And I believe Hockey even has well, actually, I think I'm I'm confused this with Crash Analytics. I know Crash Crash Analytics will do things like take the uh, the crash dumps and take the duplicates and kind of um, yeah. meld them all together so you don't so if you have one crasher in your app and you're you have 100,000 users you don't get 100,000 crashes every time they launch it it just shows up as one with a big old count number on it yep and so i did i did notice that people said that you know people were saying that hockey, they they used hockey because it handled crash reporting on the other hand i saw um, there's a stack overflow page which i'll also link to where someone was asking, you know, I think what to use. Uh, and some people were saying, well, yes, hockey has good 
uh, crash analytics, but crash analytics is better. Mm. Um, because as you, and they, they specifically mentioned the case of, uh, crash analytics, uh, coalescing duplicates. That, yeah. I, that I, hockey I, may not do that. Yeah. That strikes me as a server side thing, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if crash analytics doesn't have like maybe some extra information that they're, that they jam into the crash dump that they're able then to use, but I'm not sure. Well, and the other thing, so crash analytics is also, well, crash analytics got bought by Twitter, I think. Yes, weirdly enough. Weirdly enough, right? And they're also free. So it's yeah. the same kind of thing. Like, you know, again, you're getting this free service and you might not know quite what they're going to do with it, whether they're always going to make it free for everybody. Uh, so that is something to be, to probably be a little concerned about. But that was, they were specifically, yeah. Um, I'm only talking about the beta testing capabilities of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I've read, it didn't seem like anyone was saying those beta testing features are actually all that much better in hockey than in test flight. Now, there are a whole bunch of extra features if you embed code in your app, but I think that's also what you need to do for the crash reporting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's There's various analytics on top of that, like uh, how people are using your app that you can get with, with Hockey and with Test Flight. Uh, I don't know if Crash Codex has that, but certainly Hockey and Test Flight both uh, have these little frameworks that you can, or at least you know libraries that you can throw into your app to give you better information. And, you know, that piece of code is going to talk with their server, with the, the hockey or the, the test flight server to, to, to gather that information, make that available to you. And it's also, so it's also a question of how comfortable you are doing that. And I haven't done any of that. And that's not really a focus of this, of right. this discussion, but it is out there. And, and, you know, if you, if you want to move to that functionality, especially the crash reporting, I, I, you know, analytics is a different issue. And I also thought that Apple was, was, Am I just promoting fuddier? But I thought Apple was was rejecting apps that had analytical code in them, code that was sending data out to another server. Am I just making that up, or have you heard that too? Well, I imagine you have to you, know, you have to get that uh, what is a permission or whatever in the sandbox when you're sandbox. You have to say I need to to talk to the network type stuff. So you need to set that flag. But yeah, I I don't think I mean maybe they do traffic analysis. I wouldn't be surprised. And if you're just connecting to the crash analytics or hockey or test flight thing, that I'm, they probably know that that's known good. Yeah, I would hope so. I would hope so. And I haven't read anything about uh, apps getting. I haven't read anything about apps getting dismissed for doing these things. I thought I had read in the past about like like maybe newer services being being shut off. But again, I I don't know that for a fact, and and so don't treat that as gospel. But uh, yet, yeah, I mean, you know, mostly I think. I haven't used Talk yet, but it does seem like it has its um, its proponents. I so did just quickly something. check GitHub, and it, it confirms my memory that it looks like at least Hockey's apps uh, SDK is open source. So you can. Uh, right. I don't know if, uh, if Test Flights is provided in source code form too. No, pretty well. So the the web page that I went to, where where the Hockey folks talked about why they're better, mm-hmm. uh, which you know is a little biased, is from two years ago. But they did say that yes, their all their stuff is open source. Okay, their client code is open source. Obviously, they're mm-hmm. probably sure, not sure, open sure. source their server stuff. Right, that's their um, value add. But you know, yeah, so you get that, you get to look at all that code. And I'm, I would assume that that's still that way because you know, again, that's going to be their differentiator. I doubt Testway. Testway does certainly not mention any of that anywhere on their website that things are open source. So I, I would bet they're not. Um, although, actually, what does that mean? That means because you need to get a, a static library to link against because mm-hmm. you can't, you can't have a dynamic library. Um, so I guess, I mean, you could reverse engineer that library if you really felt like it, you could use one of those 
uh, decompilers. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's somehow DRM'd away. Right. But but yeah, it's going to be more of a it's more of a deal, I guess, if you really want to have that support from the company. But let's see. Was there anything else? So I think that pretty much covers it. Um, and uh, yeah, like I had to do. It's funny. I had to do a decent amount of research to be sure I was mentioning things correctly. And of course, I still might have gotten some things wrong about, you know, the certificates and everything else. And it goes back to something where you're talking about learning. And I think I was talking about this as well, that it's, I almost really like it when I'm reading documentation that has things that I already know completely, just because that means that I can verify my knowledge with a new source. Hmm. And so, for example, with the Apple stuff where they talked about certificates and they talked about provisioning profiles, those web pages are really high level, but they're also really kind of abbreviated. So they tend to, like, they throw in all the things you can do with provisioning profiles, I think. And like this bulleted list, it's like seven points. So you would kind of think, well, each of those seven things must be equivalent to each of those other things, right? But they're not. There's like a whole big thing to understand about any one of those. And I just think if I had read that page before I understood it, Mm-hmm. I would have been really confused. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of have to understand it before you go to Apple's documentation. Mm-hmm. That's almost what I would recommend. Like, like work with this stuff with somebody who already knows it and then go fill in the remaining gaps with the Apple documentation. Cause by itself, it's just trying too hard to be high level and it just doesn't, doesn't fill in all the pieces. So I think that's it for me. Uh, what have you got Wolf? I will, will say, I don't know if you intended this, uh, as a little tip of the hat to the topic at hand, but the Lewis and Clark reference, I think, was in terms of the exploration, fits the topic area pretty well. I suppose, sure. <laughs> okay, going to play that like you didn't mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, I, I, I this is one of the things where I'm usually I'm really good at. You know, kind of knowing, being—I guess what like we were talking about in the the previous episode, you know, kind of being the quote unquote full stack engineer, where where I from the at least from machine language on a, on up, I know what's going on, and it's I really just really punted on the entire provisioning profile stuff and getting in the entire app store stuff, both on the iOS and the Mac side. It was one of those things where uh, I didn't even you know, and you know I. I know cryptographic systems. I have a pretty good f- knowledge of how cryptographic systems work and how this code sign works and what what how it all, what it means and, and so forth. And I just was like, I had a chip on my shoulder. I didn't want to really understand how any of this stuff worked. And every everything I did was us to get past the next error. Right. And mm-hmm. and in that way, it was very much. I, this is how most programmers approach most things. That I, there was no attempt to actually understand what's going on. It's just right. like, okay, now I have this other net error. Google it. How can I move on? How can I move on? How can I move on? And there was no intellectual curiosity there. I think it was just because I this was belligerent about it. Very unlike me. So I hope this was helpful then. This, yeah, uh, I, I was, I, my, I'm a, you couldn't see it. My 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 ears perked up when when uh, you. Well, I guess they didn't really. But I'm not sure I want to see that actually. <laughs> Probably a good thing, and yeah. So this is I. I often wonder exactly how TestFlight does that, and if I if, that goes to show you how I, the the depths of my my belligerence about this was that even <laughs> all I had to type into Google is how does TestFlight do it, and there was a Stack Overflow question that laid it out for me, <laughs> and I wouldn't even do that because all I cared about was just to get to work. I will do that for you. That's that's <laughs> the service I provide in this podcast. And well, actually, so- actually, it's it's interesting because I don't. 
you know, I'm reading what they say about how they handle this, or, you know, the, the pieces that I was interested in this time around. But I could actually use a primer on on what they do with those pieces, like how they actually... And I think I actually even went to a WWDC session about signing one time. It was actually a signing for the Mac mm-hmm. before the App Store was out. Yeah, right, right. And it was, you know, it's funny because it was, you know, it was basically empty. And, you know, there was nobody there because nobody... nobody Nobody cared. About, it was, what's yeah. funny is that every single code injection guy was in that session. <laughs> right. Slava, <laughs> uh, uh, John Gautau. Uh, it's, it's, but I should have come out of that, like knowing how all that stuff worked, and it just yeah. kind of rolled off my back. I wasn't able to get it. So, so maybe if you could fill in that piece on another episode, that would actually be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because with the, with the uh, code science stuff, it's, you know, it's, I, I really wish that... Um, so many of these topics make a lot more sense if you can present them as a series of we have this problem, how can we overcome it? Or what's our solution? And obviously, Apple wanted this lockdown system that eventually they wanted to have a third-party code running on it, which is in itself an interesting problem. And yeah. But then they also want to you know, have their app store mechanism between the two, and then they also want to be able to do testing of it in their, on their side. So, you know, it, so there's obviously a chain of events here that kind of leads to the system we have. And, but coming at it where you don't have the understanding of what the problems were in the first place, it all seems very impenetrable. And that's when you want kind of the Xcode magic where it's like, okay, give me your Apple ID and I'll set up the keychain for you and I'll set this all up for you type stuff. But uh, it's, it's, and to my mind, it's much more understandable if you can think of it as a series of problems and then the, then the solutions just kind of fall out from that and then it's much more tractable. And also, I mean, we can't talk about it yet, but it will be interesting when we can to talk about how Xcode 5 improves this situation. Yeah. So, all righty. So please visit our website, edgecasesshow.com, all one word, for show notes, a link to our podcast on iTunes, and more. And we'll see you next time.